welcome to this inspiring message by Paul Van Essen at Greater Life Church. For more information about us, do visit our website www.greaterlife.org.uk. We're talking about today the great importance of gathering together, which is kind of an interesting topic since we're actually not physically gathering together. But I thought I'd just turn that around on its head and talk about why, and I want you to hear me now, why gathering together is so very important. Now, it's easy enough to quote Hebrews chapter 10. I think it might be verse 38, but no, it might be, it's in there somewhere. Hebrews 10 might be 20 something. But it says this, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves as is the habit of some. So evidently back then, just as now, there were those that were Christians that didn't dedicate themselves to gathering together. And God saw that and wanted it to be clear that gathering together was very important. So don't forsake that. Don't leave that alone. Being in a physical location. Now we're doing what we can here on YouTube and it's the best we can do in this circumstance. But there is power and great significance and importance in us meeting together physically and we are driving towards that, committed to that, of course, thankful that we've been able to do that at a higher level. And uh, But quite apart from just reading a passage, a verse that tells you that's what you should do, I want to talk about why it's important because that's where sometimes we miss it. Uh, a very kind of base level Christianity is like, well, the Bible told me to do this, so I do it. But actually, as we walk with God and grow in understanding, we find that it's important and helpful to know why God teaches us these things. God encourages these things. Because everything he says, he says for the purpose of us being growing in Christ and for our benefit, our blessing, our glory. That's the intention behind God's instruction to us. There is nothing in the word of God that doesn't design, that isn't designed to build us into better, stronger, greater people with greater lives for the glory of God, but blessed in our own lives as well. So let's look at a little bit, and I've just got a couple of passages, three simple points that we're going to share with together. And so if you've got a book or a, 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 you know, a note-taking facility, that'll help you. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Some of you will know that. It's a very famous passage. And I want you simply to see, and I'll read it out to you in the NIV version, Matthew 16, from uh, verse 16 to verse 18. And uh, here we have this remarkable situation where Matthew 16, we're kind of past the halfway mark, if you will, of, uh, of Jesus' life and ministry with these 12 disciples following him. And what they don't know at this point, with any revelation from God, with any clarity, with any heart conviction, is that he's the Son of God. And that course plays into some of those miracles that were done earlier when he said, for example, if you believe, anything is possible to him who believes. Well, believe what exactly? It would appear not to believe that he is the only begotten Son of God because they didn't know that at that point. But here we have this significant point, Matthew 16, verse, I'll start with 13 for you. 
Here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, well, who do they say the Son of Man is? Referring to himself. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. In other words, we know he's from God, but we don't know more beyond that. What about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. The one, in other words, prophesied about and predicted in the Old Testament. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. First time any of them have got that. First time anyone's seen that. Peter the first to see it. And then straight away, Jesus answered. Uh, you, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, not Simon. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So there's the first mention of church from Jesus. The Greek word there is ecclesia. And that word ecclesia in the Greek had not been used for religious gatherings before. This is what it means according to Thayer's. It's a, a, a lexicon, a well-respected lexicon. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. An assembly. That's what it means. The Greek roots mean to come out from and to. So we're coming out from the world, but it's a gathering of citizens. It's a communal gathering. It originally related more to social or even political gatherings with community influence, an assembly out from their homes into a public place, gathering together. That's the meaning of Ecclesia. So what Jesus is saying, quite aside from the fact that, hey, here's the foundation. You've seen who I am. Now, too, I'm going to tell you who you are. You're not Simon, you're Peter. In other words, a revelation of who you really are is going to be fundamental to Jesus being able to build his church, his ecclesia that he wants to build. And uh, sometimes people that I meet, very sincere Christians sometimes, have not got the revelation of their own value and their importance. They want to say, Jesus is everything, I am nothing. And that's ridiculous and not at all what Jesus says. He said, you were made in the likeness and image of God. You look like God. He said, he's made all everything subject to you. He's poured his glory upon you. He has no problem with the glory of God being put on you. You're not of low value. You're of the highest value as a person, saved or unsaved, believer or not. You are incredibly valuable to God. And that's why God sent Jesus. So we have this revelation of who Jesus is. He's the, he's the foundation, absolutely. But then we have a revelation of who I am. You're not who you, the past says you were. You're not who your natural person says you are. You're not who your mistakes from the past say you are. You are now something that God declares. And so that revelation, that's what he builds the church on. But then notice this, on this he says, I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against what? Against the ecclesia. 
not just against an individual member, but against the ecclesia. Now, yes, it's true that God has given each individual believer authority over Satan and demonic forces. That's true, but that's only part of the story. Here, Jesus says, the gates of hell that will try, ever tried against you? Try against me all the time, every day. The gates of hell, the discouragement, the lies, the, the, the disrepute, uh, the shortages of this, that or the other, the lack, the cruel words, uh, the friendships that disappear, uh, the people that promised they would do something and then don't do it. All those kinds of things. To be able to walk through all that, never losing heart, never losing love for God, never losing love for people. The trials that come, you see, all those kinds of things, they, they build you into the person. And they come, but it, the gates of hell will never prevail against the ecclesia. I think if we're honest, because this is a called out community, a group gathering together out of their homes, called together for a common purpose. The purpose of get of, of honoring Jesus and making Jesus known. And I think if we're honest, you and I both know Christians where the gates of hell are prevailing against them, where there are blockages in their lives, could be financial, could be relational, could be excuse me, health, could be their destiny in God that they are circumventing, that they are not fulfilling. God still loves those people. God adores those people. But nevertheless, those things happen because one of the reasons is because they are not connected with the Ecclesia. They're a solo Christian. They're not part of a body of Christians. And Jesus's promise that you weren't, that the gates of hell would not prevail is not against the individual, not towards the individual believer here, but against the Ecclesia, the called out of God. That's why the church is one of the reasons why the church is so important, such an important part of God's plan, and why your being connected is important. It's for the blessing and protection of you. It's not some club that the pastor said you must be there. It is for the building up of God's people. So when you were born again, you were born again into God's family. And strictly speaking, there's three of them. Father, Son, two, two, Holy Spirit, and you joined that family. You also joined, born again into the family of God around the world, what people would call the universal church, which is also the same Greek word, ecclesia. But you were also born again into a local community. You were intended to be into a local community of believers in a local physical area, out of home, into a gathering place where you are part of that community of believers. That's also the Ecclesia. And when the New Testament uses the word Ecclesia, which is usually translated church, you will find that it's around 90% of the references to Ecclesia are not to the universal church, not to all believers everywhere around the world, which is a real thing. But most of them, 90 odd percent of them, are in relation to a specific church meeting in a specific place with specific members, parts of bodies in the, you know, parts of the body with a specific leader 
and a team around them, most normally, whether that's elders, however you term that, all these things are very clear in the New Testament. And that's mostly how the, uh, the, the, the New Testament letters address this matter of Ecclesia. So you were born again in, into God's family, into the worldwide church, but also into the local church. And, in, and, it's, and it, is, uh, it is destructive to people, to Christians' lives, when they don't get actively involved in a local church. And uh, it's one of the tricks of the devil. And people have all kinds of reasons. You know, they were offended by this. I get it. Uh, I've been highly offended, believe me, <laughs> over the years. And uh, if you're any kind of man or woman of God, you have been, uh, you know, trashed and offended and poorly treated and disregarded and the whole rest of it. But listen, that is, that is not a reason for us not to embrace the church. People disconnect from the church to their own peril, to their own danger. They open the door to demonic influence, to the gates of hell, uh, by not being involved in the local church, committed to it, a part of it. And uh, I say that lovingly. I say that uh, I'm, I'm so far past the idea of trying to build a big church. I'm trying to build big people. Not my quote, somebody else's. But it's true. I'm trying to build Christ in every person. And I know that you need to be committed somewhere locally in order for that to happen effectively. And that doesn't mean turn up once a month and uh, and maybe pay your tithes and whatever. It means it's family. It's a called out community. We're gathered together to do something to glorify God. So that's the first reason. Point one is simply this, that uh, the Ecclesia is what has the uh, Jesus stamp of authority over the gates of hell. The second thing that why gathering together in the church is important is that your foundation as a Christian, so you, if you've received Jesus, you're born again, you're in Christ. How does that foundation get built? See, most people would think, well, you know, uh, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God risen from the dead and I receive him and therefore I'm a new creature. And, and that is right on a level. That's absolutely right. But there's not, that's not all there is to it if you read the scripture. So let me read you a little passage here out of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I hope you're enjoying these. I love the word of God. I've had such a good time in 1 Peter that I'm, I'm going to have to say something about 1 Peter uh, this week. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to Paul as he writes to these Corinthians about his life and how life and ministry works. It's, uh, I'm reading from about 5 to 10, so just a few verses. Stay with me. I'm in the NIV. And they're talking about, they're immature because they're saying, Oh, I like this preacher better than I like that preacher. I like Paul better than I like Apollos. Paul and Apollos were two preachers and leaders that influenced and brought the gospel to Corinth. So he says to them, listen, guys, what, after all, what's Apollos and what's Paul? What's the big deal? We're only servants through whom you came to believe. So you came to believe through certain people. As the Lord had assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Paul says. Apollos watered the seed, but it's God that makes it grow. Absolutely. So the glory belongs to God. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. They're not the big deal. The big deal is God who makes the things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, these ministers, 
have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their service, their own labor. For we are, Paul says, we're God's co-workers in God's service and you're God's field. You're God's building. Our job is to plant the seed of God, water the seed of God, the word of God in your life. And that, and you're in the garden of your life. And as that flourishes, then blessing God's work is done in your life. Now listen to verse 10. By the grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. By the grace of God or by the anointing of God as what? As an apostle. By the apostolic anointing, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. The anointing of an apostle and a prophet, incidentally, are things that lay foundations in people's lives. In other words, it's not only that you heard and believed the word, it's that you received a spiritual foundation, which is a deposit from an apostolic or prophetic ministry. Let me read you, I know I'm challenging some here, but this is really important because we're talking about why gathering together is so important. See, what happens is God uses his ministers to glorify him and to help people. He appoints certain people to certain jobs. And if those people don't do those jobs, the job won't be done. He cannot do everything he wants to do without the agreement and the co-laboring, as Paul used it, of particular people that God has anointed for that role. Otherwise, it can't be done. What happens is that people think that because someone says, I'm an apostolic minister, or I'm a prophetic minister, or I'm called to lead, or whatever it is, they think that their default is, oh, that's self-indulgent, that's pride. You think you're something. Well, actually, Paul thought he was something. And Barnabas thought he was something. And you should think you're something. The problem is we've thought we've got to think of ourselves as nothing so that he can be big. But that, if you think about it, is stupid. If he's big, he's got no problem making you big. And in your bigness, in your greatness, which God has no problem with at all, you reflect his glory. So the issue is not keep yourself small, thinking small about yourself because that makes God big, that's, that's scientifically poor. If you, make, if you allow God to make you big, and then people see that, and you say, that's God that did that, then you're far closer to what Paul is talking about here when he says, listen, it's not that the builders are the big deal, but I do have an anointing that establishes or puts a foundation in people's lives. I'm anointed that way. But the anointing comes from God, so all the glory belongs to God. I hope I'm helping you with that. I'm laboring it a bit because it's a really important point. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to show you uh, Ephesians. There's a knock at the door. Now there's something. I guess that'll be a delivery. And I have no idea if Caroline has heard it or she'll get it. In which case, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and I'll be right back
Isn't life amazing? <laughs> There's the delivery guy. There's the sun coming through the window. Are you in Ephesians chapter 2? Don't worry about any of that. These things happen. It's the modern world. We continue. Ephesians chapter 2. I hope you got there. It's verse about 19. I'm just getting such sun through there. But anyway, I, I think it's nice. Verse 19. Listen. Consequently, Ephesians 2. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow so citizens with God's people and members of his household. That's talking about the same thing as the Ecclesia, right? This household, these people of God, this community. You're members of the household, not just a Christian, members of a household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the foundation. But then on him come apostles and prophets and your lives in Christ are built on those ministries. In other words, there's going to be something missing in the foundation of your life if there isn't apostolic or prophetic involvement in the foundation. That's really something that some people have not understood. And it's important that we grasp it. Let me, let me continue there. In Him, who, Christ, the whole building is joined together. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives. So the ecclesia is you being built together. The foundation, the important foundation is apostles and prophets, these ministries, which is one of the reasons why I teach on and I will continue to teach on the fact that most churches that God has placed in place, I mean, there are some churches out there that, that shouldn't be churches because the people that are leading them weren't called to do that. That's no disrespect. But in every case where there's a church built and planted, that God built and planted himself, that he's in, the, major the, the significant majority of those are not led by pastors. We just call them all pastor all the time, but they're not pastors. Mostly, they'll be one of the other gifts, and prophets and Apostles are far more common than we would have thought, and they were far more common in the New Testament day. You've also got teachers. It's pretty rare for an evangelist to be the leader of a church because they're not really in the foundation of the church in the same way, according to 1 Corinthians 12. And you may have some pastors as well. But mostly, apostles and prophets is this foundation-laying part. So the point is this, that something is laid in your life as, a, as Christ in you, to the glory of God, but via people, men or women, anointed and called into ministry roles. And that's another reason why gathering together as the church is so important. Some of the things, let me add as a little subgroup to that, that some, some of the things we learn in life, as we learn to follow Jesus, some of those we learn because individually we follow God ourselves together. And some of those are because we relate to other Christians in the church. And so we're built together, right? One Peter uses that same idea and the phrase that we are built together as living stones. And so there's this one stone, you know, called Lucille, and this other stone here called Aletheia, and this other stone here called 
Maisel and this other stone here called Frank and this other stone over here called Paula and this other and they're all built together and this stone called Larry and this you know and all these stones are built together now when stones build together there's a little bit of rubbing that goes on and sometimes God's people in your local church are going to rub you and that's one of the ways you're going to learn the things you don't learn any other way if you distance yourself or disconnect yourself or you don't get deeply involved, you might show up, but there's no rubbing going on. There's no real closeness. Uh, then you remain in your life with these rough edges that the Lord would love to rub off. And sometimes you'll say, dear God, rub off these rough edges on my life. And actually he'll say, well, actually it's in the scripture. Uh, you should listen to what Paul was telling you the other week. You need to gather together and be committed because you will rub off things other people will rub things off you and make you more like Jesus in a way that you can't do without the involvement of other people so that's important but then there's this other thing if you check out through the scriptures in the New Testament you'll find that the vast majority of what we learn about God and from God comes through people that preach and teach and that's a real wake up for a lot of people the vast and it's supposed to be that way the vast majority the significant majority of what you're going to learn about God and growing in God is going to come via people that preach and teach the Word of God under an anointing to do that. Most of that growth does not come through your personal Bible study, even though I'm a big fan of personal Bible study. But if you look, for instance, at Romans 10, you'll talk about how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The context is people are sent to preach the Word of God. Even as we come to elders and we're, we're uh, going to position, you know, recognize people that are already in that role in our church. You'll notice in or when the Bible talks about eldership or leadership or oversight, those people. One of the things they have to do is stand firm in the teaching, in the word, as you have been taught it. Well, taught by who? Well, taught by the senior ministers or the apostles or the prophets, whoever but not by God, per se. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Am I helping you here? Of course it's by God. You've got, you've got to embrace truth from God in your heart. But the point is that, that he is saying, that's Paul writing there, that you are to, as elders, you're to be standing firm in the truth as you've been taught it. And so over and over again, the emphasis, the important emphasis, uh, is that God uses people that he speaks through. And uh, we need to understand that. So those things are very, very important in the gathering together of the life of the local church. Let me add this thought, and I think I'll close with this thought now, and, uh, and pray for you and let you go into this day and this week with God's grace upon your life. Um, the everywhere well in several significant places in the bible there are passages not just a verse passages that deal with the truth that the church of jesus is is a body a local body so there is the worldwide church i talked about that before but each local church is a local body and we are members of that body 1 corinthians 12 13 14 talks about that especially 12 and there, I think it's Ephesians and other places that talk about it as well. We're members of a body. And it says, for instance, if you're the eye, you can't say to the ear, we don't need you. 
because if we were only eyes, where would the hearing be? Hands, feet, lungs, ribs, every other part. We're all a part of the body. And for the body to be healthy, all the parts need to be together and connect together. They need to function. Not like, you know, it's pointless you having lungs and struggling terribly with breathing. And when you go to the doctor, they say, well, you've got lungs, but they're just not connected. <laughs> you know, the, the, the tubes are not connected. They're there, but they're not connected. Well, then they're not doing the body any good. And so if you're the lungs in the body of Christ, and you're one of those things, or if you're the legs, or if you're the eyes, or if you're the ears, if you're the hands, if you're the kidneys that are far less seen, but far more crucial actually to life, maybe the praying people are the kidneys. But the point is that unless you're connected to the other parts of the body, the body suffers greatly. And you do not bring what you're supposed to bring to the party, to the body, to the gathering. This, this beautiful idea of God's unique idea called the church, the ecclesia, all called out together. Well, all these people are different parts. And maybe if you're the eye, and so vision is important for you and seeing things is important for you, that's a wonderful gift. And what you tend to do then is relate to or connect with other eyes. You find other people and you think, hey, they see things like I do. You know, same with the ears, same with the heart. There's the, the same thing, you know, serving people with their hands. They're serving all the time. They see things. You will tend to see other people that serve and, and you'll feel a connection with them. But the danger is if you're not careful, you'll end up, and, and, and we see this in church life, where people say, well, we should be doing this. We should be doing more to feed the poor. Should we? Well, yes, because, why? Because you're a serving person, and that's your gift and your grace, you see. And so you're most likely that's tied to your calling and your purpose, and you should be doing that. But for you to say to the head of the body, in that local place. Well, we all should be doing that. What you're really saying is we should all be hands. But it isn't a hand club. And it isn't an ear club either. It's a body together. And the role of the senior leader, in my case in this church, is to encourage and build everybody so that they function fully in their role so that the body together is powerful, strong and effective and that the hand feels awesome because it's not flapping around it's actually connected to a wrist that we don't see so much about but without the wrist the hand ain't going to do anything and the eyes are functioning and the heart and the is functioning and the lungs are actually connected and all that means you've got to be actually meaningfully connected with other people in the body of Christ there's got to be relationship. Hence, Paul says, or the New Testament teaches us, uh, practice hospitality. Have people in your home. Build relationship. You've got to choose who are your family. I mean, they say, you know, you can't choose your family, choose your friends. But I'm talking about spiritual family. You get to choose. But choose a family and get connected and gather together and don't let Satan have a victory by disconnecting you for whatever reason. May God help each one of us to process the challenges we face, 
to discover the beauty of who we are, what member of the body, and to understand that sometimes, as the Bible teaches us, the parts that are less seen are actually more honoured and more crucial. Reproductive parts are very much, you know, uh, 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 we don't show them, right? But they do something that no other part can do. And so we've got to celebrate the different parts, be thankful for the different parts. And yet again, there's, there's reason number three for us today, that the great importance of gathering together. Let me pray for you as we go today, and then we're going to close with a, a little worship song, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond in your own heart. Let's take a moment. Father, we want to say thank you for your kindness, for your incredible patience with us, for your helping us every day. Holy Spirit, you're our helper. Thank you for helping me to preach. Thank you for helping me to overcome the challenges. Thank you for helping Carrie and I to lead. Thank you for helping our team to work together, to lead people well. Thank you for helping every person in our congregation to know who they are, to be effective in who they are, to grow this week closer to you and more powerfully used in everyday life for your glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. We thank you. We bless you. Amen.